Well, hello everyone and welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Ladig. And I titled today's show, Hello from the Other Side. And um, something we've kind of touched on before, but I thought it would go a little bit more in depth. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, spirits and ghosts and, you know, things that go bump in the night, I guess. And I've had a lot of experience with that, not by choice necessarily, but I thought I would share some of my experiences. I think most people at some time or another either have uh, seen things that they couldn't explain or had experiences that they couldn't explain um, or like watching it in movies or whatever. Um, And I've certainly had my share. The first time that I really recall um, having anything unusual is whenever I was a kid. And, um, you know, aside from the alien weirdness that we've talked about in the past, um, I grew up in a very strict uh, Christian home. And, you know, so we were involved with church a lot. And I often commented that it seemed like we were in church more than the actual pastor was because we took care of the church and did a lot of different things. My parents both taught classes and all of that. Dad ran sound. And um, I had this uneasy relationship with what was preached in the church. Like, I I don't know. I guess I always thought, like, my early views of justice, you know, God's justice, if you will, was this image of, you know, the classic... Um, the the classic thing of the scales, you know, and uh, you know if you come out even or to the plus side, you're good, and if if you know the scales are weighing down in your favor, then it's not so good. And I was pretty well convinced that um, you know, if scales were it, I was pretty much screwed um, because it always seemed like the good outweighed the bad uh, to me, at least in my own eyes, my own perception. And I remember having a dream once whenever I was, I don't know, maybe I'd have been an early teen, I I think, given where we lived whenever I had this dream. And uh, it was like a dream of hell, or at least, you know, what uh, is always described as hell. And I was walking across the fires on top of people's heads. It was a very gruesome, very scary kind of dream. And um, that was it. it. It terrified me. I mean, talk about, you know, putting you on the straight and narrow, so to speak. It just scared me. And I was obsessed with, you know, the rapture and all of that that was taught in church. And I pretty much figured from an early age that um, chances were I may not make that. So... Um, and I didn't know why I believed that. It's just what I believed. And so, uh, as a teenager, I spent a lot of time studying like survival stuff, like every book in the library that existed on everything from surviving out in the wild to identifying foods to tracking weather, um, you name it. I read it. Um, cause I figured, you know, if the rapture actually ha- happened, 
and I was left behind, I needed to survive, you know, (laughs) I needed to get through that seven year tribulation or whatever. And, um, not that I so much believe in that now, but, um, but anyways, that's where I was as a kid. And I remember, uh, the first, this is the first thing that I can remember as far as, uh, an experience or a sensing of something around was in that period of time. So kind of setting the stage for that. And I was in bed one night and, um, I had like my, my, um, bed was up against a wall. And so I was laying in bed on my side facing the wall. And I woke up all of a sudden with this sense that something was behind me. And it was the middle of the night and I knew it wasn't my parents or anything like that. And I, like somehow I just kind of knew that I did not want to meet whatever was behind me. Now, there may have been nothing there. It could have all been in my head, you know. But in the moment, it was real to me. And um, it's like I knew that if I rolled over, like, Satan would be there or something, you know. I mean, seriously, that's just how intense it was. The fear was overwhelming. Um, And uh, I was, like, scared crapless. I just, you know, I didn't know what to do or anything. And, um, there were a couple, uh, other times whenever I was a kid, a uh, teenager and such, where there were some, some curious things that happened that I really couldn't explain, but not a lot. Um, until, um, I moved to New Jersey, which was in my early twenties and I was dating this gal and, uh, we were going somewhere and I'd forgotten something, uh, in my apartment. So she was in the car And so I, you know, we walked out to the car, got in, nobody's around. Then as I was getting in the car, I realized that I had forgotten whatever it was I forgot. And so like I wasn't fully seated. So like one foot was in the car, one foot was out. So I stood back up to turn around to go in the apartment. And as I turned around, there was this dude in my face, like literally close enough to touch, but not touching. And I remember he was dressed um, like a 50s guy, like, you know, so white T-shirt, blue jeans, um, pack of cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve, you know, all of that. And um, we whenever I stood up and turned around, I was like, I don't eyeball to eyeball with him. And uh, there was like this intense fear that I felt uh, off of him. I didn't see him walk up. I didn't hear anything, nothing like that. And so, uh, in that split second, uh, when we met eye to eye, he started laughing and then just walked away. And it just really unnerved me, as you would imagine. I think it would anyone that's in your personal space like that. So I walked into my apartment and I came back out. Whenever I came back out, I asked, um, my girlfriend, Kelly, um, if she saw the guy in, uh, cause he started walking down the middle of the road and she was really, really unsettled. And I'm like, so what happened to that guy? Like, where did he go? And she's like, well, that's just it. She's like, once you got into the apartment, he vanished from the middle of the road and I'm like terrific, you know? So I had this gal who lived, uh, this older woman that I grew up around, um, she was kind of like a spiritual mom to me, 
they lived, she lived next to my grandmother and uh, catty corner across the street from where we lived. Her name was Betty. And um, so the next time I, well, actually I called her and explained everything. And, and uh, she's like, you know, chances are likely that it was, you know, a bad spirit and, you know, they were giving you a warning, but I don't know why. And, you know, so she just told me some things to do. So I didn't really give it any more thought. Um, and there was no other events that happened like that until, um, until I was dating my first wife, Deborah. And so we're talking period of time, late eighties, I guess. Um, so I remember this one time, um, I had gone to, um, I was working at a printing company and as a commercial photographer and I decided like I, I felt like I wanted to teach. Like I, I've known ever since I was in high school that I was to teach. Um, I couldn't really explain why I knew it or how I knew it or whatever. It's just like one of my gifts. And, you know, for those of you who follow me and courses and trainings and stuff, you know that I've been at it for a long time and that I've done a lot of teaching and I really enjoy it. And, um, uh, and so I decided to, like, I made the assumption that, well, if I'm called to teach and I grew up in a Christian home, then that means that I should teach in Bible school, you know, or whatever, you know, I should be, a like a regular teacher, like, um, uh, you know, whoever, some of the ones that we followed back in that time was like Kenneth Hagin and Kenneth Copeland and guys like that, charismatic leaders. And so I decided that I needed to go to Rainbow Bible Training Center in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. And so I went out there and uh, to become a Bible teacher. And uh, that didn't go exactly as planned. <laughs> um, I spent two semesters out there and um, I just didn't have money. Like, I mean, it really came down to that. I just didn't have money. And... I quit a good job and, uh, I, I did finally get a job working at a pizza shop, which was kind of cool because I could make some money and I actually had food to eat, <laughs> which is a good thing, but I couldn't really afford to pay my rent or anything like that. Um, my car had been repossessed. So we're talking like low of the low, you know, uh, it was a struggle. And, um, so long story short, I dropped out and my sister actually paid for me uh, to get a bus ticket home, um, which if you ever have the opportunity to take a, a bus like from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, don't. <laughs> it was not an enjoyable trip at all. Um, it seemed like you stop at every freaking town known to man between here and there and there's a lot. Um, but anyway, so I got back home. Um, I had lost a lot of weight cause I wasn't really eating. Um, my mom didn't even recognize me. She literally walked right past me when they went to pick me up at the bus station. Um, and so I ended up going back to New Jersey cause that's where I had lived. And, um, and I was really fortunate that the printing company that I worked for, uh, gave me my job back. Uh, and not only that, they gave me my job back with a raise and all of that. And, um, 
I lived with the owner for a time until I could get back on my feet. He helped me get another car and all that. And so that's the printing company that I ultimately ended up uh, managing before I moved back to Pennsylvania. And I loved it there. And it was kind of like my life picked up where it had left off. So those several months that I was out in Oklahoma, it's almost like they didn't exist in a lot of respects. Um, it's just very weird. But in that time, after I got back, um, I was uh, teaching a Bible study at um, a friend's house. And one of the gals who attended there was um, Deborah, who ultimately became my first wife. And um, we started dating, and almost immediately, strange stuff started happening. And um, come to find out later on, it seemed like through a series of uh, generational family things that she had some kind of a familiar spirit that um, tended to follow her around. And uh, we not so fondly referred to him as Slim because he was like this tall, black, skinny dude with a cowboy hat or something like that. Um, But I remember this one time we were talking in her bedroom and this is kind of like the pinnacle of Slim's visits. Um, we were talking in her bedroom and uh, we were both sitting on the bed, but there was probably about, uh, I don't know, four or five feet between us. And all of a sudden, um, some, I knew something was wrong and like, I felt like something had walked into the room, but I couldn't see anything. Um, but like, I couldn't see anything, but like, I knew it was there and I could follow it even though I couldn't see it. And, uh, my first wife is very much a seer type person. So she saw all kinds of, like she saw everything, you know, the, the whole joke from the movie about I see dead people. Um, that was her pretty much still is. She's still, um, like that. Um, and, uh, so anyways, this thing comes walking into the room. She saw it walk into the room. I sense that it walked into the room and she's like, it's here or he's here, I think is what she said. And it didn't like me. And I think it might be because I don't know, maybe it felt threatened because it had been hanging out with her ever since she was a little kid. Uh, could have been because, you know, I was teaching Bible studies there in that apartment. It could have been anything, but it didn't really like me. It seemed. And so, uh, but what happened next was really challenging. Um, So it came into the room and it sat down on the bed between us. I knew that it sat down between us because, um, like, as we're kind of following it along, um, my ex-wife was getting more and more upset. And then, like, the bed depressed. (laughs) Like, somebody sat down, except there was nothing there that she could see. And uh, it started choking her. And, uh, so me being fairly fresh out of, you know, a couple semesters of Bible school, first thing I did was grab my Bible and start yelling at it to, to leave and let her go and all of that. And the problem was that it didn't work. It wouldn't stop. It didn't leave. Um, didn't matter what scripture verse I shared or anything like, didn't matter. Um, 
the only thing that came to me, you know, the still small voice, if you will, or whatever, was to stop. You know, to stop talking, to stop reading the Bible, you know, all of that, to stop. And that came through really loud and clear. And so I did. And as soon as I stopped, it let go over and left, which I thought was really interesting because in Bible school, you know, we're taught you come up against things like that with scripture and everything. And this isn't, by the way, this show is not about dealing with demons or casting out demons or anything like that. Um, you know, <laughs> some of the things that I say may be controversial for some of your belief systems, but I'm okay with that. Um, so anyway, long story short, uh, Slim made a lot of ex uh, appearances over the next several months. And um, we honestly didn't know how to get rid of him. Like, we just didn't know. And talked to a couple of local pastors. I mean, that was my total frame of reference was church and everything. And so never considered anything outside um, of the fact that this was a familiar spirit, an evil presence, whatever you want to call it, and it was a threat. And so, uh, you know, we followed standard protocol that, you know, you often are taught and told in charismatic church circles, and it didn't really work. But ultimately, um, through the help of some friends, uh, we were able to see Slim go his way, or so we thought because all of the weirdness kind of stopped. And so um, fast forward, she and I get married. Um, you know, we start having kids and uh, move back to Pennsylvania um, and living here in the house where Chris and I live. And I'm in my new office, so in the, the addition that we built, but the original house uh, is still part of this and we built that. Um, I don't know, close to 25 years ago. And uh, so when the girls started getting just a little bit older, maybe four to six, um, the a lot of the weirdness started again. And um, I think probably the trigger for it was um, we had started an, um, uh a nonprofit or organization called Healing the Land. And I talked about that in a previous uh, show where, you know, we would go in and um, work with people and bringing reconciliation between Native American, non-Native people and doing research over land and all that kind of stuff. So we were doing a lot of that and um, later concluded that it was just like drawing a huge target on our backs. And so there was a lot, a lot of, uh, crazy, crazy stuff has started happening. And so this would have been 2001, you know, so right after 9-11, like right in that period of time, um, it, which coincided with the same period of time when we had our first Healing the Land conference um, that we hosted. And so these things started happening um, where we would have things show up in our house in the middle of the night and not just like a shadow going across a wall or anything like that. Like literally these funky looking creatures like visibly showing up in the house. And uh, like the, we would often give them nicknames. 
just because it was easier to refer to them that way. And I remember the one uh, we uh, referred to as Shaggy um, because this thing was like eight foot tall, maybe, um, covered with hair head to toe, um, glowing red eyes, you know, kind of classic, typical, you know, kind of like Cousin It except big. For those of you who, you know, watch those old uh, sitcoms back in the day, you know, Adam's Family and all that. Um, but this thing would show up. And later we found out that it was a, a uh, uh, an Iroquoian um, uh, connection, uh, a Native American connection, New York. And uh, they had this spirit. They, they have this um, group called the False Face Society. Um, it's kind of like an underground thing now, but they're essentially like shamans. And one of the spirits associated with false faces was this spirit. And um, it has a really long name, but Shaggy was like part of it. It was like Shag something, <laughs> like really long name. So we just referred to him as Shaggy, but that's, you know, ultimately I was doing a lot of research to try to figure out what on earth this thing was. Um, I only saw it once. My ex-wife saw it uh, several times. My girls saw it um, as well. And whenever this thing would show up, the, the level of fear that was attached to it was insane, like off the charts, like you could barely breathe. Uh, you could not move at all. Um, it was like... Um, it was like you were just um, pinned to your bed, you know, and very often it would come in and like lunge towards you and then pull back again. And I, it was terrifying. I remember every single time that it showed up, which wasn't a lot, uh, three or four, maybe in different locations, once with uh, a couple of times here at the house. And then once when we were visiting her mom at their at their house, um, it like we were pretty um old hat if you will with dealing with stuff like that so like it was pretty commonplace for us but whenever shaggy showed up it didn't matter how experienced you were or what you experienced um it scared the shit out of you like you slept with the lights on it's that terrifying and even after didn't matter how many times it came um, even like a couple years later, you know, it showed up and it's like, it just freaks you the hell out. Um, and I can't explain it other than the fact that it is what it is, you know? Um, and then we would have these other things show up, like not all of it was bad and I'll get to that in a minute. But I remember, um, we used to have like these little ashen looking children, for lack of a better way of describing them, that's what they look like, uh, that would show up in the house and they would run up and down the hallway. Um, I never saw them. Um, I thought maybe they were like, like in hindsight, I'm more curious whether maybe they were like interdimensional alien kids or something. I don't know. But um, there wasn't really any fear connected with any of them. Like one of the lessons that I learned, and I kind of learned it the hard way, and this you can kind of take to the bank, is that you can actually identify what a lot of these things are based on how they feel. Because how they make you feel whenever they're around is like a signature. It's almost like knowing their name. 
even if you don't know their name, uh, because each entity, whether it's alien or um, spirit or whatever, demon, whatever, um, their feeling is a unique signature and they're all different. They all have their own unique uh, feeling. And it's not all bad. I mean, there are some baddies out there. I met uh, several of them, but also met some um, good ones. And also, um, whenever you're dealing with human spirits, um, they have a completely different feel. You know, like if somebody's astral projecting into your house or one of your pets, which we had happen a couple of times, um, that's, again, a completely different feel. And the, the dynamics are a lot different um, than you know, dealing with your run-of-the-mill ghost. Um, but anyway, uh, so these little ashen kids would show up in the house and just run up and down our hallway. I mean, it was like the weirdest thing ever. Like, I knew when they were there, but my ex-wife would, like, chase them. Uh, and even um, my dog, Cola, uh, who was uh, a wolf-husky hybrid, like, he saw them and would chase them. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I'd be working or something, you know? And all of a sudden, I hear the dog and my wife screaming and all of this. Like, it was pandemonium in our house a lot. And it was like, get out of my house! You know, and the dog's barking and everybody, you know, is insane. Uh, it was a really crazy period that I'm glad I'm not still living in. But anyway, like, the dog would even see them and chase them around. Um, but I never felt any threat off the, of them uh, or anything like that. Neither did she. But still, they would show up. Um, we would have these winged-looking things. Uh, we finally got smart enough to figure out how to keep them out of the house most of the time. Um, so we would, like, smudge around the house and all of that. Um, and uh, around the perimeter of our property. And so... They would like go over to our neighbor's house and be on their yard and, and just pace back and forth. Or you'd see these wing things setting up on our neighbor's house, which they were dealing drugs. So I didn't really care too much, you know, <laughs> like stay over there, hang out with them. I don't, you know, that's cool. Just don't come to my house. Um, and then I remember one time, um, like I came home. And I was looking for my wife and I couldn't find her at first. And then I heard this sound and I went into our bedroom and like something was attacking her, which often seemed to be the case. And, um, her face was being stretched. Like it was being pulled from behind or something like that. And it was like the weirdest thing ever. And like, it didn't scare me, even though she was pretty terrified as you would imagine the only thing that I kept thinking of was, man, you kind of look like Phyllis Diller. You know, if you've ever know who Phyllis Diller is or you've seen her, you know, she got a lot of facelifts. And so it looked like her skin was really stretched a lot. And so that's how Deborah looked. Like somebody was trying to stretch the skin on her face. It was the weirdest looking thing. Um, and so I made the thing leave and, uh, and so finally it released her and, and it left. But one of the things that, excuse me, that really was challenging uh, in that time, and that's just like a, a small sampling of some of what happened um, for about two years, is raising girls. 
um, in that kind of an environment. And um, like we couldn't help it. It just, it was what it was. And, you know, we'd hear one of the girls crying in the middle of the night and we'd get up and like there'd be stuff in their room or, you know, uh, things under their bed. Like we're not just talking the typical, there's a monster hiding under your bed. Like we would walk in there and like shit was real, <laughs> you know, like stuff is going on. And so we had to teach them how to respond to that. And, um, you know, on the one hand, I'm glad that the girls learned how to handle themselves in those situations. But on the other hand, kids just shouldn't be experiencing stuff like that or they shouldn't have to. Um, so it was kind of a, a mixed bag with it. But I remember, um, like, uh, later on after Deborah and I had divorced, um, Ashley and my oldest daughter, Ashley and her husband were living here in the house before they were married. Um, they were living here in the house. Um, and I was still, I had an apartment right after the divorce and I was there for a year. Um, so then I moved back into the house after that, but they were here and David didn't believe any of that stuff. Like he was very matter of fact, like, nope, just isn't real. And if it is real, I don't want to know. Um, until he started seeing things, you know, <laughs> and like, I remember then even after I moved back in, they moved out and got their own place. And then Courtney and I lived here for a while. And, um, like Courtney would tell stories of like waking up in the middle of the night and there'd be these things standing in her doorway and like eyes glowing and all this kind of stuff. And like, she would respond with, you know, I don't have time for this leave me alone. I'm trying to get to sleep or I'm trying to go back to sleep. And she'd roll over, you know, and it's like, I often joke with her, you know, I say, um, uh, you know, the spirit or whatever it was, you know, standing there just ready to give her a hard time. And then she's like, sorry, I don't have time. I'm going back to sleep and rolls over. And it's like, oh man, like I was getting ready to scare you and everything. And crap i guess i have to find somebody else you know and just kind of walk away but that's how our family became like you really get numb to it after a while it's like oh you're here again terrific you know just leave me the hell alone and you know uh it it really got like that uh and i remember courtney and i when she lived here we would often watch like ghost adventures and ghost hunters and all that um mostly just to laugh and make fun of them um because more times than not, they never actually experienced much of anything. You know, they get like a little, I, like I remember uh, one time she and I were watching this show. I think it was ghost hunters and uh, like the original ghost hunters. And um, they, like they were out in this one place. I don't remember where it was. And they're like, if somebody is here, um, give us a sign by knocking on the wall and you hear, you know, like, Oh my God, you know, Oh my God. And we would laugh and laugh and we're like, could you give us another sign and knock on the wall again? And we're like, Oh my God. You know, and they're running every direction, you know, it's real. And, you know, Courtney would look over at me and she's like, man, if they came to our house years ago, like they had ended up in an insane asylum and 
that's a true story. I mean, that's just how it was um, for those couple years, like 2001 to 2003, 2004, around that period of time. And it just really was insane that way. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, we were stirring up the pot with what we were doing for reconciliation and those kinds of things. And I think I told you before, you know, around that same time, um, we had a group that was like burning pentagrams into our grass and lining up dead blackbirds and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so it was it was an intense time in the Lydic household. I don't miss it at all. Um, um, and I remember, man, there's so much. Um, like... Deborah would have dreams where she would travel to these other places like uh, schoolrooms and uh, meet with people and they would tell her, um, Ashley is ours. We have a contract. You need to sign it and release her because she's ours. And she's like, you know, you're not getting our daughter and this and that kind of stuff. And we would fight um, against this, you know, this group, whoever the group was, you know, they were convinced that Ashley was a part of whatever their agenda was. And, uh, of course, Deborah never signed anything um, in spirit or otherwise. Um, <clears throat> but something interesting about that, and I'll come back to that. But uh, that was our life. I mean, it, that was normal. And I remember... <laughs> I remember this one time uh, we had some friends over who were visiting and uh, one of the experiences that we had, which I think I might have shared before, but we had this cat. Her name was, um, let's see, it was Lily Blossom. I can't remember the cat's name right now. That's horrible. We had three cats, Lily and Blossom, but the, the other cat, it was like a sandy colored tabby. And, um, or like a tiger kind of cat, a uh, great cat. Uh, but there was one time in the middle of the night where Deborah had, had wakened up and you could see out into our hallway in front of the bathroom. And she, whenever she, uh, and I think Courtney saw this exact same thing happen at the same time. So it wasn't just like imagination. This was two different people in different locations saw the same event where, um, Deborah woke up and there was a woman kneeling over the cat. And um, ultimately we figured out who the woman was. And I'm not going to reveal who it is because it's somebody who's still living. Um, but again, another story. But uh, whenever this woman realized that Deborah was awake, um, it jumped. She jumped into the cat. So it was like an astral projection. And jumped into the cat. And the cat, of course, took off running. Uh, Daisy. Daisy was a cat's name. So Daisy took off running and ran down into the basement, terrified, obviously. You know, like, what the hell's in me? You know, kind of thing. And so uh, Deborah woke me up. And, of course, the girls were already awake. And so as a family, you know, we're going downstairs looking for Daisy. And I finally find her. And she was hiding under uh, something down there. I don't know what it was. So I grabbed a hold of her and pulled her out. And whenever I did, like we were starting to carry her back up the steps. And as we we're carrying her up the steps, like her normal eyes weren't normal. 
um, they were literally human eyes. Like, so imagine you're carrying a cat. And so I'm walking up the steps and my ex-wife and daughters are behind me and I'm holding her at arm's length. Okay. And she, her belly and her face and everything is facing me. And instead of cat eyes looking back at me, there's human eyes looking back at me through this cat. And there's a level of separation <laughs> that you have to maintain to keep from freaking out whenever you see something like that. So like normal stuff that you might try to push away a negative entity or evil spirit or whatever you want to call them ghost doesn't work on humans just fyi um it just don't and um so i'm like yelling at the cat or this woman that's in the cat uh i know some of this might be fantastic but it is what it is you know not that i would ever wish that you were there or experience it but so I'm yelling at the cat and finally this person leaves and the cat returns to normal and then it went limp. And um, so we had to go through really like a type of protocol with the cat because she had an opening um, that a spirit could jump into. So we had to like close that for her and um, she was ill for a while and um she actually had it happen to her once or twice later on after somebody else had her um, and was taking care of her. But uh, anyways, it was kind of a freaky experience, as you would imagine, um, for us and for the cat. But um, that was that was life here in a Latic household for years, a couple of years. And so um, we, uh, you know it we were just constantly on edge i mean it's just you're always wondering when's the next thing going to happen when's the next thing going to show up um it it's actually pretty wearying but we would get so like we were so inundated with it like i said we just it just became almost second nature so it didn't scare us anymore except when shaggy would show up like that was the exception because a lot of power there but we would even have times, like I remember going to this one powwow up in New York. And that is um, uh, like the tribes that live up there. Um, we call them Iroquois, you know, so like Mohawks and Onondaga and all of them. Um, they refer to themselves as the Haudenosaunee, um, which is a group of six nations. And I remember uh, we were up there dancing at a powwow. We had a hotel room for this particular time. I don't remember why we normally camped, but um, we had like a group of the uh, people, one of the drum groups actually, like in the middle of the night, um, astral projected or something into our hotel room to check us out to see if we were like on the up and up or not. And the weirdest, like, they just wander around the room, you know, like you could see the shadows of them. And we knew that they weren't like regular spirits. You could tell. Remember, I told you about feelings and signatures and stuff. And um, the next day, you know, we're at the powwow. <laughs> there they are, you know, on the drum. And, like, we knew who they were. I mean, we were in tune enough to understand what was going on. 
And they, of course, were in tune because they were doing it. Um, and, uh, you know, we just kind of nod to them and they would nod back and it's all good. You know, like we know who you are, you know who we are, we're good, you know. And so there were a lot of dynamics like that as, as well. So we're not just talking like ghosts or spirits here. I mean, we're talking like even running into individuals that, you know, could uh, do things like that. And uh, it just made for an interesting time. But um, there was a lot of those kinds of things. Like I remember visiting friends of ours in New York. Uh, they were Onondaga. And we were having a meal at their house. It's where I learned how to make salt potatoes, which were amazing. And uh, a whole group of their leadership the tribal leadership like showed up at the house, not in physical form, in spirit form. And like, you could tell, like you knew that something was going on. Uh, some of us could see them. I couldn't, but I knew that they were there and they were just there to check us out, you know? And, uh, the guy whose house it was like, he could see them. He knew who they were, you know, like who, the, what their actual names were and everything. And, uh, like I remember, like we were all sitting on their porch and you could literally like, uh, and you'll often see this in uh, spirits and stuff is that there's a temperature shift like 10, 15 degrees. And so you could walk over to one part of their porch and it would be like 15 degrees colder in a spot and then step out of it or move your hand out of it or whatever. And it was normal temperature again. And we would see that kind of stuff a lot. And even there, it's one of the ways you could tell is that you have these cold spots, you know, it's like, Oh, there's somebody right here. And, uh, so on and on it goes just a lot of that kind of stuff. So, um, some of you might be wondering, so what did you do to stop it? And, uh, it's a really good question. Um, so two things happened two events. One was, um, we started seeing a number of people who were associated with our organization that really was struggling with, um, what was going on. Um, I think I mentioned before one person ended up in a mental health facility. Another person like a pastor went off the deep end, um, for a while left his wife, everything. Um, that's all since been restored years ago. Um, another person lost a son in a car accident. I mean, it was just a lot of really negative things happening. And, um, so one of the things that we decided to do was shut it all down. We shut down the ministry or organization, whatever you want to call it. Um, we just stopped. And cause we couldn't take it anymore. I mean, you deal with that on a regular basis. It, it's challenging. We'll just say that it's challenging. Um, and then the other thing we did, we realized that the more we focused on that stuff, those beings or spirits or whatever they were, the more they would show up. And so I got the bright idea. I wonder what would happen if we just stopped giving them attention. 
you know, and then rather than focusing on fear and spirits and all that kind of stuff, we just focused on living our lives uh, from a place of love. You know, love over fear. And that was probably the smartest decision we ever made. I'm not even sure how I got to that point. But um, whenever we did that, took that position between closing down the organization and fo choosing to focus on love and not fear, it no longer had energy to feed off of. And even though we were kind of a bit lackadaisical about it all by then, because there was just so much, it was like, oh, you're here. Um, it just really took a lot of the energy out of it all. And a lot of it stopped. Now, not all of it stopped. And um, there was one occasion, this wasn't a negative thing at all, but we would start coming home and you could smell sage burning. And uh, like, oh, you know, I come home from wherever I was. And I'm like asking, you know, the girls or my wife. And I was like, were you burning sage or was your mother burning sage? And like, no, like I smell it. Oh, I do too. You know, and so there was this constant thing. And then there were times where we'd be like asleep in the middle of the night and you could hear chanting, like Native American singing or chanting. Um, and ultimately what we discovered was there was like this native elder who was no longer living, it seems, um, but took an interest in us. And I don't know if he was passing through or if he was trying to bring healing because of all the crazy, I'm not really sure, but why ever, why ever he was there, I appreciated it because he was actually a pretty cool guy. Um, I never saw him, but Again, it was one of those things where, um, like, I could tell when he was around. My ex-wife and Ashley both could see him and saw him multiple times. And I remember this one time is kind of a comical story. I uh, I was already working on, online by then, just kind of getting started. Um, so this is after some of the crazy. So we're talking like 2005. And uh, my office, I didn't have an office, so I was working in the kitchen. And um, I, so I was working on some project or something, and uh, my ex-wife comes out and says, um, he's here again. And I said, who's here? He's like, the Indian guy. Like, okay, what's he want? She's like, I don't know. Where is he? He's in the bedroom, sitting in the rocking chair. Okay. He's like, can you come back with me and find out why he's here? Like, I can't see him. You can. You go back and ask him. Well, I don't want to be back there by myself. Like, well, he's not a bad guy. Why well, no, I just just come with me. Fine. Okay. So I go walking back into our bedroom. There sits the rocking chair. I see nothing except a rocking chair. And I'm like, is he there still? She's like, yes. And I said, so we were wondering, this is me, right? Talking out loud to what appears to be an empty rocking chair. So um, thank you for being here. But we were wondering why you're here. You know, and is there something we can do or what? And so I say that and then I look at my ex-wife. And I said, is he saying anything? And she's like, yes. What's he saying? I don't know. He's talking in Lakota. And I'm like, but part of your family is Lakota. She's like, that doesn't mean I know the language. 
fine. She's like, ask him if he can repeat it in English. Okay. So thank you for giving us an answer. <laughs> we really appreciate it. But we don't understand Lakota. So we are wondering if you could let us know in English. And so then I look over my ex-wife again. I'm like, what's he saying? She's like, oh, he just left. Without any kind of answer, she's like, yeah. Like, okay, so I'm going to go back to work now. <laughs> and that's kind of how it was. But it wasn't like just us. Like, we would have friends come to visit, and they're like, you know, like the gentleman and I would go up, would be out somewhere, and we'd come back, and um, his wife would be like, your Indian friend is here again. I'm like, oh, awesome. Tell him I said hello, you know. So he was just a natural part of our household for a while, but a positive one instead of like Shaggy. And uh, and then we made this trip, and I forget where it was. I guess we had, see, we had traveled out west, um, out to Colorado and New Mexico and all of that. And um, so this was happening before that trip. And so we thought that maybe there was some kind of a connection that we needed to make in New Mexico because uh, we had um, met with uh, some Native folks out there and stuff. And whenever we uh, got back, he never showed up again, like never heard from him again. What's interesting, though, is just a couple days ago, I walked in the house and you could smell sage. And uh, Kristen wasn't here. And I know she wasn't burning sage. I mean, we always have some. <coughs> but she was working downtown. And I'm like, huh. You know, I wonder if that Indian dude's back. You know, it just kind of made me wonder that. But, you know, it's important to understand that not everything that is energetic like that is necessarily bad. Like, ghosts or spirits or demons or whatever you want to call them. I've, I mean, I've seen angels. I've seen a lot that I can't explain. I don't know that I would necessarily refer to them as demons. Um, I've had, like, my dad has, um, like, I, I, I'm not much of a seer. I can't see a lot. Once in a while I will, but usually not. Um, but like, there's been a couple of times where my dad has come to me and I knew that it was him beyond a shadow of a doubt. Again, the feeling thing, right? Uh, same with my grandmother and, you know, a couple others. Um, like, uh, right after Chris and I got together, actually, uh, dad showed up in one of my dreams, but it was like a very profound, like not your normal average dream. And, uh, he gave his approval and he's like, I like her. She's a keeper, you know, uh, kind of thing, which was kind of cool, you know, getting my dad's blessing from beyond. Um, but uh, it's not to say that I don't still have chance occurrences of stuff like this happening um, or run into things. I mean, whenever it's a part of your life for that long, a, it gets really old. So, like, you know, I have people constantly asking, you know, you do you still do, like, house cleansings and stuff like that? Because we used to do that. And I think I shared a couple of those stories in the past. I don't go looking for a fight anymore. That I mean, that's one of the big things that I've learned. <coughs> is that if you go looking for it, 
chances are you're going to find it. Um, you know, spirits or familiars or whatever. And honestly, after everything that I've seen and experienced, it's just not my idea of a good time. Um, I'd rather, you know, play with real people. Um, but the other thing that you need to understand is that um, certain types of beings, and that's how I refer to them, because you can't really say for sure. I mean, it's real easy to label something as a demon or an evil spirit or whatever. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it is. Okay. I mean, church tends to skew things in very stark assumptions that aren't always correct. Um, from my experience, it could be anything. I mean, it could be an evil spirit. It could be a human spirit that's stuck. It could be an alien, for all we know. There, Many of them are interdimensional, so you don't know. <coughs> so I tend to not put labels on without really understanding what's going on. Uh, and I've encountered some real creeps um, and some pretty cool things. But... One of the things that I've also learned is that certain types can be generational um, and as such can be very, very possessive. And I find that somewhat annoying because it requires a lot of research to figure out how to get rid of them if you don't want them around. And you might remember that uh, earlier on I mentioned Slim. So Slim is back and not here at this house where I am because Slim was never about me. Slim actually don't like me. But where Slim has showed up now is at my daughter's house, Ashley, who um, she has Maya, of course. And so both Ashley and Maya are seeing Slim. And that concerns me a little bit. And it pisses me off quite a bit because um, my ex-wife, of course, you know, Slim grew up with her or vice versa ever since she was a little girl. Slim was around her and it it's a generational thing. And so you may remember me a little bit earlier mentioning contracts as well. And so I think that Slim is probably connected with those contracts somehow. And now it's trying to get an in with my granddaughter. And so the uh, protective side of Pappy, um, you know, makes me very cautious. But the reality is because it's a, a generational family thing, I don't have a dog in the race. I don't really have much authority to deal with it one way or the other. My ex-wife does. We haven't really had that conversation yet. Um, I've talked to my daughter about it. She's talked to her mom some about it. Um, because, I mean, everybody in our family knows who Slim is. It's been around for a long time. Um, I haven't determined exactly what it is. It can be nasty, though. And that's what I don't like. Um, it's probably a familiar spirit, but I don't know who, um, my ex-wife has some very strange things in her family. Um, a lot of earth spirit Wiccan type stuff, like the Jersey devil legend is attached to her family and 
just a lot of things like that. And there's a firstborn daughter generational thing that I've been able to trace back several generations, you know. Um, and so if you know anything about some of the dark arts type of thing, there's legitimacy to like seventh generations and stuff like that. Um, and so I have some concerns around some of that. So that's an ongoing kind of thing. I check in with Ashley pretty regular to find out what's going on. And so, so far there hasn't been any negative repercussions of Slim hanging out in their household other than the fact that, you know, it scares Maya sometimes. Um, and so as far as here, there's nothing. Um, whenever my ex-wife happens to visit, she usually tends to travel with an entourage um, that, you know, an invisible entourage. And so, like, every time she comes here to the house, which she'll be here this Sunday, after she leaves, we have to go through the whole house with, you know, sage and tobacco and stuff just to clean out the entourage because they like to, they see the big screen TV and they want to stay and then Kristen and I start fighting and it's a bad thing. So normally what we found, and I'm just telling you how my experience, you may have had similar experiences, may have different experiences. You may think I'm insane, um, but I'm not making this shit up. It is what it is. And I make no apologies for it. Um, but like in my experience, um, whenever you have somebody that comes into your house, which you are the steward of your own property, your own body, your own house, whatever. So like, if you notice that there is, uh, all of a sudden, you know, a lot of heightened frustration or anxiety or anger or whatever, um, it might be worth your while to figure out who's been to your house recently, especially if that's not normal. Um, and so like what I found is that, like for Deborah and I would say this to her face and have like, this isn't, I'm not saying this is a negative at her. Okay. We have a pretty decent uh, relationship, but she knows <laughs> the life she's led uh, and what, you know, what's connected with her. Um, but like whenever she comes to the house, if we don't address it right away, and just kind of get busy, forget about it, which is real easy for Kristen and I to do because we, we do a lot. Um, about two weeks. It takes about two weeks. And we will be at each other's throats. Um, and why that's so odd is that we're together pretty much 24-7. And we never fight. We never argue. We're on the same page. We get along amazingly well, probably better than most, especially being around each other for so much. And so um, if we start to get at odds or, you know, she's feeling, she is very sensory. And so if she's feeling a lot of extra stuff, we know exactly why it's going on. Um, and so we'll, you know, I have <laughs> a very large stash of sage and tobacco and sweetgrass and all that kind of stuff. And so we'll just make up a smudge and we'll go through the house 
And once we've done that, it all leaves. It's all gone. Everything is cool. Peace is restored. Everything is back to normal again. And that isn't just a once in a while, oh, let's see if this works. That's every single time. It works every single time. And if we don't do it, the other stuff happens every single time. We've tested it out, actually. You know, we've split test, you know, spirit aggression, split test. <laughs> We're marketers. That's what we do. Um, <laughs> sounds kind of funny to say, but um yeah, so that, you know, so this uh, Sunday we're having Lily's birthday party here at the house. Um, my ex-wife will be here, um, you know, all of that after they leave. It's just a standard part of cleanup, you know, get all the regular trash, put it in the trash bag, take it out to the dumpster and then get all the spiritual trash, gather it up, put it out off the property, you know, and uh that's just how it is, you know. So for those of you who have been around me for a long time, like as a teacher teaching about public domain and illustrations and all that kind of stuff, you probably never quite imagined that I was so weird or that I had such a strange life beyond teaching public domain books and stuff. But I have. And I'm. it's one of the reasons why I'm grateful for this show because it gives me an opportunity to talk about stuff like that, because I know that many folks, probably many of you, um, have had, um, maybe similar experiences or different experiences. Um, and it's not the kind of thing you can really talk about normally to people because there's this fear of being perceived as crazy or insane or weird or whatever. Um, I mean, come on, you're talking about spirits and ghosts aliens all kinds of stuff like that it's not normally accepted as status quo even though the majority of the population has some sort of experience with it um so i'm happy to talk about it especially if it can make any of you feel more comfortable or maybe answer some questions that you've had or or whatever I'm happy to share my experiences, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing it. Ah, that's a good point, William. I didn't think about that. Um, William says, uh, and that's why the friendly Indian has reappeared, because Slim has reappeared. I didn't connect that, but that's a good point. I'll have to think about that one a little bit. Uh, the Indian guy is cool. I mean, we had multiple encounters with him here at the house. The singing is especially cool. Um, like, even I heard that. Uh, but it's been literally 20 years. No. Yeah. Probably 20 years since he's been around. So, hey, I'll take it. Um, Gil says, Tony, there's a movie script here. Wow. Well, actually, um, like the movie Paranormal Activity, um, I watched that once. I haven't watched any of the, the later ones. Um, but Paranormal Activity, it was, I found it to be really curious because 
like a lot of what they showed in that movie was stuff that we experienced. And so it's like, nope, don't need to know anymore. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know? Um, Jess says, so if I'm understanding you correctly, if we, uh, have a bump in the night and we ignore that spirit or whatever, it will probably leave us alone. Not necessarily. Um, in some cases, yes. In other cases, um, you have to let them know who's boss. I mean, it really, unfortunately, is a case by case. Like, there's no stock answer. Uh, that's been my experience in running into dozens and dozens of these things over the years. Um, so, uh, sometimes it, like, one of the things that we had to deal with here at the house is that it was discerned. Actually, Elaine, who was on here a couple of weeks ago, helped me figure some of this out. Um, is that we actually had a, a portal uh, here in the house. And I had to figure out why and then how to close that portal, which we did. Um, but even like that process can vary depending on where you are and what's going on in history and you. Um, uh, what, because like spirits like that can attach themselves to things and locations and I, all of that. I mean, it's actually, there's actually a lot to it. Um, I wish it was, was just easy, you know, to say, you know, if you don't focus on it, just focus on love, it'll go away. That can lessen it. Um, fear tends to empower them. They feed off of it, especially if it's a bad, bad dude. Um, I mean, the good ones, I don't care. They can hang out as long as they want. But um, it will it will, or at least should minimize what's going on. But it won't necessarily make them go away. Based on my experience, anyway. <laughs> William says, spirit aggression, split test. I love it. Well, you know. I'm a marketer. That's, that's how it is. Uh, Mavis says, I've had lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences, but no ghosts. My freakiest thing was this. My very religious mother always prayed for the second coming as if it was imminent. As a kid, I knew I'd be left behind. So would my non-religious dad. When I woke up during the night, if everything was quiet, I believe my mom's prayers were answered. Only the sound of dad's snores comforted me because I knew... He'd be left behind too, and I wasn't alone. How warped is that? <laughs> it, my dynamic wasn't quite like that, but it's still the same kind of thing. And yet, you know, we so we had those experiences as kids. Yeah, here we are, you know. So <clears throat> I'm not going to get into any comments on what I believe concerning those events and stuff. Um, I will say this. There's always, there's always an element of truth to everything. And I don't just mean the Bible, okay? Um, like stories and beliefs and myths are uh, usually rooted in some kind of a kernel of truth. It's one of the reasons why whenever you really get into religious studies, and, and <clears throat> by that I don't mean, just mean Christian studies, you know, you get into the Gnostic texts, uh, some of the um, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, 
uh, get into some of the Sumerian um, teachings and like all of them. There's a lot of parallels. And uh, and even like if you dig into um, uh, some of the other uh, things that seem to be consistent with humanity, like uh, origin stories and myths and um, archetypes and all of that, um, as you spend time really kind of taking a lot of that in, you start to see patterns, especially if your brain is good at recognizing patterns. There's a book that I found years ago. I'm not, I think I still have it. It's a heavy read. Um, but book I found years ago called the spirit history of man. And it's an eye opener, um, because the person who wrote it, which I don't remember their name currently, um, they did the hard work where they did a lot of the comparative research and everything and drew parallels and it's incredibly fascinating. <laughs> Tony says, where did the hour go? Yeah, right. It, it spins by pretty fast. And Jess says, Mavis or Mavis says, uh, Hey Tony, weird is good. I agree. I'm pretty weird. And Jess says, uh, thank you, Tony. This time we spend together always opens new doors and ideas. So I thank you very much. You're welcome. We've had a couple weeks of heavy, you know, with talking about um, gratitude. And then last week, you know, we were talking about taking um, responsibility and now, you know, ghosts and stuff. Um, I'm thinking next week might need to be <laughs> something a little more lighthearted, but we'll see how it how it plays out. William says, um, I find it very intriguing to hear that a portal opened in your home recently and now Slim and the cool Indian are present. Well, the portal was actually, um, that was, uh, we actually had to deal with that and address that. It was probably in 2006 or seven, somewhere around there. And, uh, so as far as I know, like there hasn't been any major issues around that since then. So whether they, their reappearance is connected to, um, to that portal or just to, uh, family connections. Um, I'm not sure yet. That's something that I'm still kind of sorting through, but like, I've only seen since like since the girls have moved out and it's just been me. And then of course, Kristen more recent, there's only been one time in that, you know, eight or nine years where there was a, I wouldn't call it a profound experience. Like it was meant as negative, but I didn't take it that way. It just ticked me off more than anything is, um, sorry sinuses <laughs> the humidity here is crazy right now um i i think i shared this story before but i was working in my office at the back of the house and i heard all this noise out in the kitchen and i didn't have any pets at the time or why well, I, I had i guess blossom was here then but that was it she was a very quiet reclusive cat um so i heard all this noise and so i and i was alone here alone and so i walked out into the kitchen and everything that could be moved, 
So like cabinets and um, like I have these like these little um, bookshelf kind of things and like a microwave cart, stuff like that. So everything that literally could be moved was moved to the middle of the floor, like just all stuck together in the middle of the floor. Now, I can say with certainty that I did not do that. <laughs> Why would I do that? And it made me mad, you know, because my kitchen was organized and now has all this shit in the middle of the floor. You know, all these, like everything out of their place stuck together in the middle of the floor. And so I just yelled at whatever did it. You know, it's like, stop fucking with my kitchen. You know, put it back. And pardon my French. And, but that's what I said and marched back into my office and kept working. So I didn't feel any like negative fear or anything like that. It's just, everything was moved. And, uh, you know what? You want to know what happened? Nothing. Stupid thing did not put everything back. (laughs) And I ultimately had to reorganize my kitchen and move everything back into its place. But that only happened one time. And, you know, there's really been nothing bizarro, crazy like that since then. Um, Which, ultimately, I'm grateful for. It makes for good stories. And sometimes can be entertaining. Especially, like, when the bubble people show up. And you have, like, these glowing bubbles come into your room and all of that. I mean, they're kind of pretty, you know. I think they're probably alien um, rather than spirits. But... Nonetheless, um, I've seen them a few times, but nothing in the last four or five years really to take note of. So it is what it is. Um, Gary says, are they able to predict the future? Any of these spirits, nothing that I've really encountered has been that so far. Um, and it really depends on how you look at time. Uh, I think they probably could to a certain degree of, of uh, accuracy only from the perspective that time is not linear like we think it is. Uh, If anything, it's more like a spiral that's happening simultaneously. So if you go to the top and shoot down through, you know, you can get a better idea of what's going on, future, past, present, all of that, as opposed to, you know, I was over here at this time to the left, and now I'm at this time to the right. So time doesn't flow that way. It doesn't flow linearly. So from that perspective, maybe they could. Some of it could be inside information that they don't know. Some of it could just literally be energy loops. That So it isn't like a spirit per se, as much as it is stuck energy that's just spiraling in circles. And maybe uh, one of these shows I'll talk about spirals, uh, because there's actually a lot to spirals. Uh, from an energetic perspective, from a spirit perspective, from a sacred geometry perspective, you know, maybe that'll be a future show. I think it'd be a lot of fun to talk to because there's some serious energy and power in spirals. Um, uh, next time you get bored, you know, go into your bathroom and start flushing the toilet a bunch of times and watch the water swirl. That's a joke. Uh, <laughs> Gil says, thanks, Tony, and happy hauntings. No, thank you. Um, Tony says, Vestiges of the Spirit History of Man by Samuel Fales Dunlap. Is this the book? Um, 
it might be. Um, it seemed to me that it was just called Spare History of Man. This is an older book. So this is a book that would be in the public domain. This is not a new, uh, a new book. So it could be the same one. You'd want to check the date. Like I said, it's an old, it's an old book. I don't even remember. I think I found it at a antique shop or something years and years ago. Um, and I, like I said, I, if I can find it here, I have a lot of books that are packed. Um, I, I'm sure that that's one that I would have kept. Um, but if I could find it, I'll post it in the Facebook group, what it was. And it may be the one that uh, several of you have mentioned now. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, and Tony says that it is in the public domain. Cool. So that could be it. Um, so anyway, it I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't chalk it up as a fun read by any stretch of the imagination. Um, very small type, and you know a lot of cross reference data and everything so it's a hard read um but it's really fascinating like some of the dots that the author connects are just crazy just really super cool if you love history research and all that kind of stuff it's super cool so anyway that's all that i have folks thank you all very much for joining me once again and uh, we'll get together next tuesday at 10 a.m eastern